Hi, this is Jeff Langston. Welcome to our Releasing Potential podcast. Here, music industry experts share their experiences of working in the industry, including their tips to support your journey of turning your passion for music into a business. And today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Hayley Bosher. Hi, Hayley, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you here today. Um, and it'd be a really good start if you could just share with listeners uh, a sort of potted history of your, your career to date, including your love of music. Oh, absolutely. So I'm currently a senior lecturer in intellectual property law at Brunel University, London. And the way I got to here <laughs> is uh, not your usual academic journey, I suppose. I actually did performing arts before I did law. And I just always had a love of you know, music, film, theater. And in a dream world, that's actually where I would be. Like my dream job would be in musical theater, honestly. But since I was a bit average at that, I decided to go to law <laughs> school instead. And here, here I am uh, as an academic. But I really enjoy my job because I get to work with all the, in that industry just from the different perspective and all the people working in, in the entertainment industry, really. Um, I predominantly now teach law students, but in my career, I've worked a lot with creative students actually yeah. I worked at the University of the Arts in London working with all different types of creative students whether they be musicians artists photographers performers filmmakers and I also did that in the Netherlands as well at the Academy of Digital Entertainment um, I'm also a consultant so I help people with their intellectual property okay. both um, as kind of like a kind of like a fun side job for me um, and also with my students uh, we offer a pro bono service which is free legal advice for um, people who are entrepreneurs or starting up and they just want to know a little bit about what their rights are and then that's a service we offer through Brunel so that's kind of like a fantastic picture <laughs> yeah Thank you. Yeah, it sounds it sounds uh, a great uh, a great journey so far, and uh, linking a lot of things that you love, which is uh, which is a great place to be. Um, so one of the things that you've done reasonably recently is write a book uh, called Copyright in the Music Industry. Uh, tell us a bit about how that came about and why you did it. Yeah, I was just about to say, I forgot to mention the, the latest things, but here we are. So that's good. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I wrote this book actually in lockdown last in lockdown one, as we like to refer to it in the summer. Uh, but it was in the planning before that. It was just that that's how things fell. Um, for me, it was really important because although I'm a researcher and a lecturer, I want to do things that are actually useful in the in the world. It's I'm not the kind of researcher that does books just to put in the library and so this book it was really important to me to make something that was actually not for other researchers to read but mm. for artists and performers and people in the music industry to read and help them to understand a little bit more about copyright and about their rights um so that was kind of the idea behind yeah. the book itself it's not really your typical academic Book. Although I have typical academic books, um, this one is not that type of book. It's and it was such a joy to write because I got to be really myself. 
mm. and just write as a person as opposed to you know academic writing is very formal and yeah. different yeah. style whereas I wrote this colloquially and you know I crack a few jokes it's supposed <laughs> to be an enjoyable read um, and it comes with a playlist because as I was writing it I was listening to all the music that I was telling the stories about mm. what's happened or using them as examples to explain different points of law and I was really enjoying like getting into it and like listening to the two songs and you know, do they sound the same that kind of thing and I thought when I pe when people read this book I want them to do yeah. the same thing so I collated all of the songs in the book into a playlist and you can it's, so it's an immersive experience you can listen along as as you read that's uh, that's a brilliant approach because copyright and publishing are two sort of still areas of mystery in the world of music and it's great if you've you've been able to demystify it in some way for for, for people that uh, need to know about it and, and very often when people are starting out in the music industry and I'm sure a lot of listeners to this will be just starting out in their career it's such an important part of knowing what they need to know as as an artist so what are a couple of need to knows have to knows in terms of copyright and I know it's a, a fairly hefty book but if you could just pick a couple of really uh, key points yeah well you know my approach is that it's not you don't need to know everything. That's where I would start. You know, there are lawyers that you hire at certain points and it's their job to know all the nitty gritty and understand, you know, the details of the contract. The very first thing that you need to know is just that as a musician or as a performer, as a songwriter, you have rights. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's for those rights are for you. And you should just be on the very basic aware of them. Because as you said, it's an area of mystery for some and some people don't even understand that they have a performance rights or they have a copyright um in their in their song or their composition and so that would really start with the basics the first thing is to know this thing exists and it's for you and hopefully that will you know interest people to be like okay so tell me more like what does this right give me and how do I use it and how do I make money from my music or how do I get paid you know it kind of should lead you into more um in that direction and I do in the book that's the whole first chapter is trying to convince people that they should care that basically that they have copyright because copyright does have a bad reputation and I've spent a lot of time working with you know artists and performers and people in the music industry trying to convince them <laughs> that you know the concept of copyright and the actual law are two different things so copyrights just like this man-made or human-made person-made thing that uh like very politically correct there <laughs> um and it's a concept it's the idea that people who create should be able to own their creations and be remunerated for their creations the law is just the policy of the day and it always reflects the current technology the current politics in around the world in that country and it changes all the time and so one thing is once you learn about your rights and you start to engage you realize that it is a political issue actually mm -hmm. and it's important to be involved in the conversation of when the change is being made because it's being made all the time because if the people in parliament and the people, the legislators, the people changing the law don't hear from the people who are at the effect of that change, 
they don't really understand what that would mean for that person. Mm. So the second thing I would say is, you know, to first understand a little bit around your rights in order to function in your, you know, in your music business, but then also to engage with it in at another level where you might join a, um, a union or there's lots of collective organizations depending on what you do in the music industry. You can join the Ivers Academy if you're a songwriter, mm. you can, you know, join different you can join the mmf if you're a manager the music managers forum so and then together collectivize and and go and and get your voice heard of what it would mean if there's this change in the law or what actually you need in order for that copyright to function in a way that is you know useful Mm -hmm. because for for songwriters uh, effectively, their their songs could be their their future income, their sort of passive income. So, for for somebody listening at the moment that's maybe got ten, twenty, thirty, or more songs sitting there, how how do they go about making sure that they're getting what they're due from them? I would go as far to say that they sh- it should be their income. Well, you know, it it, it is their <laughs> income if you just do the right, take the right step. Um, so if you are a songwriter or an artist or performer, it's the same, but um, there's slightly different things that you can do depending on what your role is. And also, I totally acknowledge that lots of people do all these things. It's not necessarily that you can necessarily just be one of those things. Um, is that you should register with your collecting society, first and foremost. And there's more than one collecting society, depending on what it is that you do. (laughs) And the collecting society, well, when your music is played, for example, in a restaurant or a bar, you get get some of that money, you get a slice of the pie. So the bar or the restaurant pay a license to the collecting society, whether it's uh, PRS, um, for example, and then they will share that money amongst the owners of the music that is played. Um, so that's an income that you can have straight away. That can yeah. it doesn't come. I say straight away. It can take a while. So you don't yeah. get the. It's not paid in the bar. Played in the bar on Saturday. <laughs> you get you know your check on Monday. Yeah. But it's still an income that you are entitled to as yeah. the copyright uh, holder for your song, and you should absolutely utilize that income. Yeah, you you mentioned PRS then, and uh, fairly recently uh, I've heard a lot of conversations about PRS and PPL, and the difference, and why you why it's beneficial to register with those collecting societies. So, can you demystify in a in a, a sort of concise way, as far as you can do, um, about PPL and PRS, the differences, and why people should register with both? I will do my very best. (laughs) So essentially, the thing to know is that when you have a song, there is more than one copyright. So copyright is kind of actually an umbrella term. Um, And you've got the right in the actual composition, which you usually assign to a publisher if you have a publishing deal. And then you have the right in the sound recording, which you might refer to as the master, which is like the actual recording of the song. And often you license that with a record label if you have a record deal. So you have these two rights. On top of that, you also have what's called a performer's right. So in the performance of the song. And basically you can go around collecting money (laughs) for each of these rights. 
And PRS and PPL essentially just collect for different things. So when the song is performed, you get a royalty. And when the song is, um, for example, the sound recording is um, put onto a CD, to yeah. use very basic language, um, <laughs> then that's a that's a copy of your composition uh, of your. I nearly said it wrong. Then it's a copy <laughs> of your sound recording, and yeah. therefore you have a different type of royalty. Same as if your song is played on the radio, or if your song is streamed, then you get all these different revenue streams, basically. Mm. Um, and the only difference between PPL and PRS is just that they administer a different type of use of your song. Mm. And so you need to register with both because they don't cross over. Right. So, and sometimes it's very um, confusing, actually. It's not that straightforward about uh, which, um, because they cross over on certain things like radio and streaming because the lines are very blurred about which is which. Mm. Um, but it doesn't matter to the to the user, to um, the musician or artist signing up, or just sign up to both. You don't need to worry about what it is that they collect for. You just yeah. need to know that there's all these different ways you can collect money for your music. Mm. But you have to sign up. If you only sign up for PRS, they won't give you the money that PPL is collecting for you all the time. And it's just sitting there. Right. And both of PRS and PPL have pot of money that's unclaimed every single year. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they have so much money unclaimed, they have to organize schemes around what to do with that money because people aren't signing up, but yet their music is being used, for example, played on the radio or in a restaurant or a bar, and the license money is paid to PPL or PRS. And then because the, the songwriter didn't sign up or the artist didn't sign up, then... Um, they can't pay the money. Yeah. See what I mean? So I do, it's really, yeah. really important. Yeah. 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 And it's it's really it's surprisingly common. So if you yeah. haven't, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I haven't signed up, don't worry, you are not alone. It is extremely common. However, it's very just go on their website and sign up. It's I would I was about to say it's very easy, but um on my podcast we had an episode with uh, Dennis Coloppi and I asked him what's the most common mistake people make when they're signing up to PRS or PPL or registering a song that on their account. And he said that it really basic mistakes can get in the way, like things if you have more than one way of saying your name, like if you yeah. sometimes use your middle name or you sometimes don't, then it can get confusing. And he gave examples of even like really famous people who have quite generic or common names and the money gets paid to the wrong person right. so when it is straightforward as in just go and sign up and then add your songs but when you do it just do do be careful because in order to get paid you have to do it correctly and it's not necessarily the most intuitive system although they have tried really hard to make it improve it all the time um, and again that's when they need your feedback so what could they do to help you to help you make it easier to register um, and you get an identifier, a number, once you've registered with PRS, and then you can use that number. For example, if you co-write a song with somebody else and there's joint yeah. ownership, then you need to put both the numbers in to collect and share the money with the two people. 
brilliant. Thank you. That that's a really good bit of demystification there. Uh, so really, it's a no-brainer. It's uh, it's money sitting there waiting for you. Otherwise, it's likely to go to somebody else. So so why not do it? And also, it's a dynamic process as well. So we need to keep keep on top of it and keep registering, including things like set lists where you perform mm -hmm. live. So um, anybody listening, go and register right now. Yeah, I would much. definitely recommend. And <laughs> um, the other thing that um, we talked to Imogen Heap on the podcast as well, and she talked about this thing called the Creative Passport, where you can go and it will host all of your information. Um, and that's another sort of database place to look. And kind of sounds like, oh, admin, a bit boring maybe. But I feel like what I really liked about what she was explaining about the Creative Passport is having all your information in one place because you know, there's, then there's all these numbers, like, oh, your PRS number and, you know, for the other collecting societies. And the good thing about the Creative Passport is that you have everything in one place. Um, and you can also put in there all your information, like your songs and um, your record label and your if you've got a manager and you have all of that collected and kind of organized in one mm. place. Um, so that's another thing I would have a, have a look at. Brilliant. Really, really fantastic tips there. And uh, we, we'll put links to all these uh, societies and, and tools that people can use in the in the episode notes for anybody listening. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times your podcast. So you are a podcaster yourself, uh, a podcast who, who called Whose Song Is It Anyway, which is uh, co-hosted by Jules O'Riordan, who many people will know as Judge Jules. Uh, and I remember many a Friday night uh, tuning into Judge Jules. Um, a couple of questions. First of all, how did you come to be co-hosting with uh, Jules O'Riordan? Uh, and then the second question is uh, a couple of surprises that maybe you've come across in some of the guests that you've interviewed. Yeah, so, you know, lots of people ask me this about Jules. And honestly, I don't have a very exciting answer. <laughs> it's just I just asked him I just said excuse me Jules O'Riordan would you like to come and co-host a podcast with me and he said yeah so it's really just his willingness honestly um, and yet he's a really great co-host because he has such an extensive experience in the music industry he's actually obviously is known for his music and DJing and He's also worked in A&R, he's worked in different parts of the music industry, and now he's actually a practicing lawyer, not a judge, but a lawyer. And um, so now he works with lots of clients and he knows the legal side very well in terms of the practicalities of contracts and stuff like that. So he, he is just brings so much to the table as a co-host because of those that really broad perspective. Um, and then I try to bring a bit of the, the research side and our guests are anybody from the music industry. We've had people from all those organizations that I just mentioned, and also some artists and songwriters like Imogen Heap, Crispin Hunt, and Tom Gray from Gomez. Um, the thing that's, a couple of things that surprised me. I mean, the first thing I have to say, it's just been an absolute pleasure. It was a real joy to do. And I did it during lockdown and I think it really kept me going, like talking to people, having the really engaging, interesting conversation. And everyone was so passionate and enthusiastic. I didn't have to ask anybody twice to come on my <laughs> podcast and talk about copyright, which I thought, you know, I said at the beginning, copyright does have a bad reputation of maybe people think it's something a bit boring, but I definitely think that that's changing because mm. people were thrilled to come on my podcast <laughs> and talk about copyright. So Brilliant. I was like, great. 
<laughs> everyone's getting into it as much as I am so that was really really nice um and I think a couple of things that kept you know people are really interested in getting you know the thing I said about getting engaged with the actual process and I think this is actually quite a big shift in the music industry because before I got the impression that it was quite we were quite passive like oh there's this thing called copyright and maybe we'll whinge about some of the things that aren't very good but we're not actually going to do anything about it whereas now people are becoming much more proactive and actually you know we've got the streaming inquiry going on and that's come about because of people genuinely knocking on the door of their MPs and being like, you know what, this is not working for me. Can you do something about it, please? And that's been amazing. And for me, that is the point because even though I'm obviously a pro copyright person, I don't Mm. think that copyright works perfectly. And there's many things that need to change about it. But the process of law is that it can only be made based on the information that the people making the law have. And often, Mm they are not the people who were on the ground experiencing the law that they're trying to regulate. So you really need that engagement. And that's also been really wonderful part of the podcast is seeing that that shift. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, It's been absolutely fascinating uh, conversation, Hayley. Uh, A a couple of final things, well, sort of final things. First of all, what would be your top tip for maybe somebody looking to build a career in the music industry, whether it is as a singer, songwriter or a producer or whatever, top tip for building that career in the music industry? It's a good question, but it's quite a hard one because I I think, yeah, there's a lot (laughs) There's a lot of things and I would just say as a precursor to my answer that obviously I'm coming from my perspective, I'm looking at the importance and help of copyright and I do put that as a central uh, imperative factor of a successful career because if you're not making money from your music, if you haven't signed up to those collecting societies, how are you funding yourself? Like, do you have to have a part-time job or a full-time job? Um, where you could maybe be making enough money to actually support your career. So I do think copyright is an integral part, but I'm also aware, obviously, that that's not the only thing. So you can't, for example, I know about copyright, but I don't have a successful career in the music (laughs) industry. You also probably need some talent and, um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) having good music does help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, you know, music, I think, I don't know. I think um, for me, copyright is an integral part to a successful music uh, business. And that kind of just an entrepreneurial attitude of someone who's willing to learn. It's okay if you don't know anything about copyright, why would you? It's, we don't learn this stuff at school, um, but just being open-minded and like, okay, I'll have a go at that and do not to be intimidated by it because it is something that looks much more complicated and scary yeah. than it really is in real life. Thank you. Thanks very much for that. And uh, another top tip for keeping physically and mentally fit. We've uh, we've been in this uh, pandemic, even if you're listening this to this in years to come. Uh, we're going through a pandemic in 2020, 2021, and it's been an even more challenging time. Um, even outside a pandemic, the music industry can be quite a tough uh, business to be in. So uh, top tip from your personal point of view for keeping physically and mentally fit. 
thank you this is a lovely question I'm really glad that you've brought this up um and even in my book about copyright I mention mental health in the music right. industry because I completely acknowledge it is so so important and it actually is an issue in the music industry like the numbers are really shocking of the reports of people who are struggling with their mental health in, in the music industry so Again, though, I'm seeing a shift there. People are talking about it more. Even the fact that you've asked this question in this podcast is great. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of books and resources that have come out recently on this. So um, I would definitely recommend looking into those. What works for me, especially during the pandemic, but actually I've been doing this ever since my PhD, which was kind of like, if you do, if you do a PhD, what happens is you sit around a lot by yourself and right. just like reading and questioning everything and you get to a point of like questioning life <laughs> and so it is a really challenging time from a mental health perspective yeah. and we have an ongoing joke with other people I know who have a PhD that's like if you didn't have a breakdown during your PhD you didn't do a PhD <laughs> like it's it's like just part an integral part of the process so that's when for me my mental health journey really began then and I take my mental health extremely seriously. Um, I have regularly have therapy. I practice yoga two or three times a week. Okay. And I also meditate. I would say daily, but maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. I try to meditate daily. Maybe yeah. every other day is probably more realistic. But even if it's just five or 10 minutes of like a really peaceful moment, focusing on your breath, I just think it calms me and keeps me focused and keeps me grounded and that's those are the things that work for me I think as a tip I would say if what works for you is will be different it's not doesn't necessarily mean everyone should go out and meditate every day but you should take your mental health seriously and you should figure out what works for you thank you thanks very much so um in conclusion you've uh, you've published a book you've got your podcast going and uh, also your, your lecturing. Uh, what else have you got coming up? And where could people find you if they wanted to get in touch with you? I have some really exciting projects that I am oh, coming up <laughs> next year, but I can't, I can't exactly <laughs> say what they are at the minute because we haven't okay. like, you know, signed contracts and all of those things. Okay. Um, but I'm really looking forward to um, starting a new project, hopefully in January 2020, that is um, in the context of copyright and music industry. Um, mm -hmm. So that would be really exciting if hopefully everything goes to plan. Okay. Um, and just generally, like, for me, I what's great about being an academic is you do have a lot of freedom to come up with an idea and then see it through. Um, so I'm always looking for new interesting areas of, of research in the, in the music industry or anything to do with copyright really so yeah watch this space um, in terms of where to find me I'm actually like a on the love social media I'm everywhere you can find me on Twitter Instagram LinkedIn the podcast um, and yeah I don't know okay. Okay, that's that's absolutely fine. And and again, we'll put all those contact details in the episode notes. So thank you so much, Hayley. It's been absolutely fascinating. And you've done a really good job of demystifying some of those areas in, in the music industry that people very often shy away from. So thank you so much for that. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely chatting. Thanks. For it. Thank you.